Good morning. If you would uh, open up to Luke chapter 1, we're going to be reading uh, 1 through 56. Insomuch as the m- many have undertaken to compile the narrative of things that have been com- accomplished among us, just as those whom from the beginning were the eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seems good to me also, having followed all those things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty among concerning things that you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, a division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appearing to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth Elizabeth will bear you a son, and she shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, And he will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am old, a man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring to you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done me, done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and all of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, and be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. 
for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And this mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted these humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Please be seated. Morning. I was reminded as we were singing this morning, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And we celebrate that yet this month, but no doubt we carry that with us, uh, I hope, uh, all throughout the year. The fact that God sent his son, and he sent his son to save. That was one of the, the phrases of the song this morning. He was born to save. I pray we would remember that and keep that in perspective as we read about the arrival of Christ over these next couple of weeks and speak to the purpose and meaning behind and the effect that that arrival should have upon those who call themselves children of God. Okay, I'm going to ask if you would, we'll pray and then we'll begin our time, our study in Luke chapter 1. Father, you have sent your only begotten son into the world because you love us. I pray for just a moment that we would stop to consider your great love for us. We thank you for sending Jesus. And I pray today as we open your word, we would cherish the good news of your son's arrival. Word came forth, word came down, heaven sent, Emmanuel, God with us. We praise you, Father, for your providential rescue. We thank you for sending a Savior we so desperately needed and still need, even yet today. Your love and your life has come to the world in the person of Jesus. For that, we are forever grateful. We pray your blessing upon this word that you have so graciously given to us, this word that you have revealed to your people. May we listen attentively because it is your word. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, these next few weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be in Luke 1 today, and we'll be speaking about this announcement, this birth announcement of life to come. And the life to come in particular we're speaking about is the life of Jesus. It's being announced, his birth announcement. So that's where we're going to be today. We'll look specifically at verses 26 through 38 see the context of Jesus' birth announcement. And then next week we will turn to Luke 2 and we will look at the arrival of this new life. And we'll see in Luke 2 verses 1 through 20 the context of Jesus' birth, his actual arrival. And then the final Sunday of the month we will then look at more of a, uh, a so what, if you will, the articulation of this new life. To articulate something is to make something clear, to give it some kind of context. The fact that Christ came, we'll be looking on December 28th, that he came, so now what? What does his life have to do, and how does his life intersect with our life, and how then are we called to live in light of Christ having come? So that's where we're going to be headed in these next few Sundays. As we look at Luke chapter 1, 
verses 26 through 38 this morning. I believe the context of where we are in the biblical text is important to note right up front. Luke is one of how many gospel writers? How many? How many gospel writers? Four. Good. Four gospel writers. He's one of four. And some of you might, might ask the question, well, why is there, maybe you've thought this from time to time, why four gospel writers? Why did they have four? Couldn't they have just summarized the gospel into one book? One of those 66 that comprise what we have as the Old and New Testaments, the scriptures that we have before us. Why the need for four gospels? These are good questions. But we ought to be grateful, church, for four gospel accounts. Each one of the gospel writers is moved by the Holy Spirit. And he's detailing a particular aspect of Jesus. I mean, even if you look at the starting points for each one of the gospel writers, they're a bit different. Matthew begins with the genealogy and he talks about this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. And in Matthew's gospel you read about this king, this conquering king. And you read, especially in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, about the principles of his kingdom, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Mark's gospel begins a little bit differently. Mark's gospel begins by saying the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. And he goes on and talks about this man that we'll speak to in just a moment, John the Baptist. That's the beginning of Mark's gospel. And as you know, Mark's gospel just goes full speed ahead. It's, it's filled with these phrases, and immediately, and, and he went immediately, immediately, immediately. You see that word, it's in there a lot in Mark's gospel. Mark has given us snapshots of all the work and ministry and life of Jesus. And really one of the big picture themes in Mark is the fact that he is a suffering servant. You see the ministry of Christ and you see his crucifixion and resurrection make up a good portion of Mark's gospel. Then you see Luke in his gospel and it begins by this brief introduction to the most excellent Theophilus we're not quite sure, we're not quite clear on who this Theophilus fellow is. But Luke, in writing, is addressing this particular gospel to him to speak to and give clarity to an understanding of this person, Jesus, and what Jesus did. And Luke is writing an orderly account, he's a historian. He's a doctor, a physician. And he's writing out this orderly account, not only for Theophilus, but praise God, it's also for us. And he begins by that brief introduction dedication, followed by not one, but two birth announcements. The birth announcement of John the Baptist and the birth announcement of the one we know as Jesus. That's how Luke begins his gospel. Luke speaks much in his gospel about the humanity side of Jesus. And he brings out the fact that God is man in the flesh, Jesus. And he brings that forth, I think, very well in this particular gospel. And then you have John. John is a little bit different than the first three, isn't he? You're reading those gospel accounts. And in John, we, we see that the gospel of John begins with that theological treatise, those first 18 verses, which begins, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All the way down to verse 18, which speaks about how this Jesus, this Lagos, was going to be the one. He was going to declare the Father. This word, this one being born, was going to declare God. He was going to show to all the world who God was. So 
So we have quite a collection in these four Gospels. The Gospels are the good news message. Gospel, euangelion, good news. What we have is a collection of good news messages about whom? Jesus. If you're wanting to point somebody somewhere in the scriptures that's going to speak directly to who this person Jesus is, one of the four gospels would be a great place. So we have this collection, this what we call the genre of the gospels, right? The gospels. And it speaks directly to the good news Delivered by Jesus, but it's also the good news about Jesus at the same time. We go to the Gospels to find out this good news. And so as we consider and think about four Gospel writers, why four? And, and thinking about things, I was reminded of, of the illustration of, of how uh, there's an accident that happens and occurs and, at an intersection. And depending upon which particular angle you see the accident occur, you might actually have some different details about what happened. Now, granted, all four of these gospel writers are moved by whom? Holy Spirit. All four of them have that in common. They are all moved by the Holy Spirit to write the very words that we have recorded for us. I was reminded even on a, on a basketball court as an official, I have a primary coverage area. And so when I am on the court, I am to be looking at a specific area of the floor at any one time. I'm not to be watching the entirety of the court. I am assigned and responsible for a primary coverage area. And so as I see the ball move, the ball is very important. And as the ball moves, I'm going to move in accordance with where the ball is. But wherever that ball is, my eyes are always on what's called my primary coverage area. You see, even in officiating, we have angles. There are angles. And everything is angles. So for those of you who are fans, I want you to understand that when there's not something called, it's because a lot of times the referee may not have the right angle to see the play. The gospel writers had the right angle all the time. Why? Because they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That ought to give us great joy. That ought to give us great comfort in knowing what we have before us is a very wonderful and gracious gift of God that we have four Gospels. And this one that we're in here this week and next week, the Gospel of Luke. Let's remember, all of them written for different audiences. Each one of these Gospels are unique and they add a distinct angle on who Jesus is. The Gospels are these good news messages about Jesus. And they are intended to not be stand-alone gospels, but they are intended to be weaved together to form this cohesive picture of who Jesus is. Church, how many of you know that in the world we live in today, there are so many people who have their own definitions of this man Jesus? Anybody ever heard that today? Anybody ever come up with people or come in conversations with people? They have this idea of who Jesus is. The Gospels give us what I believe one of the best descriptions of who Jesus is. John's Gospel, by the way, points out the fact that Jesus is divine. He is the Son of God. A lot of people don't agree with that today. But if you want to know who Jesus is, the Gospels give us that foundation, that place to go for that right understanding of who Jesus is. So as you consider the announcement that's made today by the angel regarding the coming of Jesus... I want you to remember that his arrival changed everything. His arrival changed everything. How many of you in here are parents? Raise your hand. Parents. Okay. So you can all relate to this. Think about your firstborn. Not that your other ones weren't important. 
But think about the first one in particular. And you might remember that day when that first one was born. And how exciting, and maybe for moms, how much on the back end, how much of a relief, a joy that this baby, this baby has come. And you get that child home. And you realize this is, this is much more than just joy. Yes, it's joy. Yes, I'm, I'm excited. But this is also work. This, this, is, this is hard. This is the first one especially. It's hard. The arrival of a new baby doesn't come with instructions. It's on-the-go training. And I think for many of us, we could vouch if we've had more than one child. We, we know that when the second one, when the third one, when the fourth one, et cetera, et cetera, when they come, we've had experience with that first one. And there are some things we do differently, are there not? That arrival changes everything. The first child changes everything. The second child changes the third child changes. There's always this change. There's always this transition that occurs when we have a child. It's a blessed transition though, isn't it? The arrival of new life changes everything. And it's no different here when we're talking about the arrival of Jesus to come. This divine announcement of Jesus coming into the world was good news. Think about this from a context perspective. Jesus is coming into the world. Jesus, the good news of God, sent down here. It's good news in the midst of a, what was at the time, a dark, desperate, dying world held in bondage in the context by the law's demands, governed harshly by the Roman authorities, It was in the midst of this backdrop that God saw fit to send forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law. Remember that? Galatians 4. To redeem. That we might be adopted. That's Galatians 4. So let's keep this in mind. That this birth announcement is, is not also... This is not the first time... We are privy to this birth announcement when we arrive at Luke's gospel. Let me just give you a few snapshots. Genesis chapter 3, we go all the way back to the beginning. And you remember what happened after Adam and Eve ate from that tree they weren't supposed to eat from. You remember that? Well, in Genesis 3.15, we see God placing a curse on the serpent saying that he will put enmity between his seed and the woman's seed. See, there's already this picture of the one yet to come pointing toward one to come who was going to make all things right. What had just gone wrong, what sin, Romans 5, 12, had just entered into the world, God's already got a plan. His seed is going to come. And we keep reading in the Old Testament, and you see in Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting in verses 15 through 19, that God is going to raise up a prophet like Moses. Remember that? He's going to raise up a prophet like Moses from among his own people. And this one will speak in the name of his father. And by the way, it says there in Deuteronomy 18 that you ought to listen to that one. Keep reading in the scriptures and you get to the prophets. And you see in Micah chapter 5, Verse 2, that there's going to be a ruler to come. And this ruler is going to rise up out of Bethlehem Ephrathah. Bethlehem. He's going to be one to bring peace. Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 7. A virgin is going to give birth to a son. Shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Two chapters later, Isaiah chapter 9, we see this spoken. For unto us a child is born. 
A son is given. His government will be everlasting. Take note of that because there's some words here the angel speaks this morning. Speaks to this everlasting government as well. He shall be called Wonderful and Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And so the Bible points to this one to come. And here in Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38, we have the actual announcement coming down from heaven to earth. The announcement is coming from heaven to earth. You know, sometimes we have all this buildup of something that's yet to come. And then the actual time of when it happens. It's an exciting time. And here we have right here, what we're in today, Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38, is the actual announcement of what's going to take place. Jesus is coming. There's really two parts to the text this morning. The first part is the announcement narrative, which is verses 26 and 27. And then there's the announcement dialogue, which is the rest of the, the, the chapter, uh, the rest of what we're going to be preaching this morning in 28 through 38. There's a narrative and there's dialogue. Verses 26 and 27 open the window into how the announcement came to be. I'd like to read those two verses and, and then take a look at the pieces and the players, if you will, that God uses to make this gospel announcement a reality. So read with me. Follow along, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man. Can can we just stop for just a moment? I know this is oftentimes not a proof text, but it just jumped off the page at me this week. Again, in light of the culture that we live in, I think it's good as we read the Bible that we stop and we pause and we ask ourselves a question. Because here I was reading and it just struck me. You know, that the announcement, the, this narrative says that Gabriel sent by God to this city in Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man. A woman and a man. This is God's way. A woman and a man. That's all I want to say about it, but I want to point it out. God's the one that's doing this. He's sending his angel. To a virgin, betrothed to a man, whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, let me give you just a few pieces here, all right? First of all, it says, now in the sixth month, anytime we're reading a text, and we're not going through the entirety of Luke's gospel right now, okay? We we are, um, sometimes the phrase is uh, parachute dropping into a text, Right? Anybody here ever parachute dropped? Anybody? A couple of you have. All right, so you know what I'm talking about in particular. You're you're dropping into a particular territory. In this case, we're dropping right into the beginning of Luke's narrative, the announcement of the arrival of Jesus. In the sixth month, what's that? I think that's a question we ought to ask as we read the text. What are we talking about? Well, verses 5 through 25, it's one of the reasons I had Chris read What comes before? It provides context on the sixth month. Actually, verse 36 also provides context on this sixth month. The words from the angel. Okay? When you read the passage previous to this one, you discover yet another birth announcement. God is announcing the good news of another baby boy to be born. This child is going to be born through the priestly couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And the text says in verses 6 and 7, if you look at that, says that both of them, they were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. An angel of the Lord then shows up to Zacharias one day while he's tending to the altar of incense. His lot came up. He's now in the temple. He is responsible for the altar of incense. Angel shows up while he's at the office, at work. Informs him that he and his wife, first of all, he says to Zacharias, this is also instructive. Your prayer has been heard. 
Isn't that comforting? Your prayer has been heard. And he says, you're going to have a baby boy. And his name's going to be John. As you might imagine, this was life-changing news to Zacharias. And the text says in verse 24 that Elizabeth conceived. And she hid herself five months. Notice that. Five months. Two verses later, then, you have this phrase. Now, in the sixth month. Okay, the sixth month is reference to the length of time elapsed in Elizabeth's pregnancy. Everybody understand that? Okay. Two-thirds of the way through her pregnancy, God is now at work again. That's the context right here, starting in verse 26. Now, in the sixth month. I want you to note, too, that the announcement of God to Mary regarding the birth of Jesus is intricately connected to the birth of John. This is brought to light, I believe, if you turn for just a moment. Turn to Mark chapter 1. I think Mark's gospel really brings this forward. Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning of whom? Jesus Christ. The Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John came, baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John, we know his attire, he was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Okay? And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The first eight verses of Mark's gospel speak to the role in the ministry of John as a forerunner of the one whose sandals, he says, is, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. John is the one who is going to pave the way for Jesus to come. John is the one who is separated in less than a year apart from Jesus, the relatives. John's ministry is intricately linked with that of Jesus. And we see that here in Luke's gospel in the sixth month. It's put right here next to it. In the sixth month. The Spirit is not only recording for us two birth announcements in chapter 1 of Luke. But I believe he's wanting us to see how they relate to one another. As Mark unfolds his gospel, the Spirit moves him to place John's life and ministry right up front and includes John in the scope of what we know as the gospel message. When we talk about John the Baptist, John is a part of the gospel. In Mark's eyes, as he's moved by the Spirit in writing, he is the beginning of the gospel. He's right at the beginning. John is going to be instrumental in trumpeting the message of good news about this one to come who would baptize not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We see here in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God. There's another piece. The angel Gabriel was sent by God. If we read the account that comes prior to this, we see that the angel of the Lord, verse 11, appeared to Zacharias standing on the right side of the altar of the incense. Zacharias, when he saw him, was troubled. I think Mary's a little troubled too. We'll see in just a moment. The angel says what the angel says to Mary in just a moment. Do not be afraid, right? Do not be afraid. Your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. And then he's giving some highlights of who John is going to be. This is what's going to happen to John. This is how he's going to be known. And then verse 18, Zacharias says, listen to what he says. How shall I know this? For I am an old man. 
And my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. Do you see the contrast? Zechariah says, I'm an old man. And Gabriel says, I'm Gabriel. Who stands in the presence of God. It's almost as though, Zacharias, I hear what you have to say. But you're only looking at what you know to be true. I am Gabriel. And I stand here in the presence of God. And I've been sent by God to speak to you and bring to you these glad tidings. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God. Birth announcement number two is about to be sent. It's sent to a city in Galilee, in Nazareth. And this provides us with a geographical place on the map of where God sent Gabriel. The announcement is made in Nazareth, but as we hopefully know and remember, the birth takes place, according to the scriptures, in that little town called Bethlehem. And we'll see next week how Joseph and Mary get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They get there, and God's orchestrating it. God's working it all out, and they get there. But for now, this announcement, Gabriel is sent to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. And he's sent to a virgin, betrothed to a man. We get the man's name. The man's name is what? He's got a good name. He's got a good name. His name is Joseph. Joseph. Betrothed to a man named Joseph. Joseph is, and this is an important piece, Joseph is of the house of David. That becomes very important as we see what happens in Luke chapter 2, right? Because there's going to, oh, I don't want to give it away. We'll say that for next week. But it's a very important piece. The prophets testified that a child would be born of a virgin. And as we'll see next week, there will be an event that takes place which will tie into the fact that he is of the house and line of David. So the reader is, is confronted with wonder as the angel Gabriel is sent to Nazareth to a virgin, not to someone who has already had experience with children, but to a young woman with no children. She had not known a man intimately. And yet she is the one God is about to use to bring his good news into the world. A virgin conceiving. That's what we have. We see that the text tells us that this virgin's name was, this virgin has a name and we're given the name. Her name is Mary. Mary. The narrative provides names of people and places on the map which we can easily identify. The people and the places have been identified for us. This narrative and these two verses are very helpful, very important for what follows. And now we receive the dialogue, right? We have the announcement, we have the narrative, and now we have the announcement dialogue that's taken place between the angel and the virgin, between Gabriel. And Mary. So this dialogue is found in 28 through 38. And first of all, in 28, we see, having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now that phrase, having come in. Having come in. I was thinking about that one. I don't believe that the angel phoned ahead of time. I don't believe the angel texted And said, hey, I'll be there in 15 minutes. I don't even believe that the angel 
knocked on the door. Having come in, the angel comes in where Mary is and begins to speak. And then you have verse 29. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. What manner of greeting this was. When you really understand and think about this text, it doesn't surprise us of her initial response. In fact, I think that's pretty common. And I think the angels that God sends on different occasions, I'm sure as they arrive on the scene, they're ready with that one-liner, that familiar one-liner, do not be afraid. Because the natural reaction to many of us, when an angel just shows up on the scene, unannounced, is uncertainty. What is this about? I don't quite know what's going on here. And so you get then this follow-up from Gabriel in verses 30 through 33. And really what you see the angel is doing throughout here, the angel Gabriel is providing clarity, helping Mary understand what is happening, what's going on. Verse 30, the angel says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, all right, so so you, Mary, have found favor with God. Now he's about to go one step further with that. He's already said, Rejoice, right? Blessed are you among women. Pretty general stuff so far. And now he's going to add another layer to this as he delivers his communication to Mary. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now, what follows is descriptors of who this person, who this child was going to become. If you notice in the text, it's all future tense. He will be, he will be, he will be, he will be, he will be. Future. This is going to be what defines this child that you're about to give birth to, Mary. First of all, Mary, I want you to know, he will be great. Oh, let's be clear. The angel is not talking about great in terms of his achievements, in terms of his status, in terms of his degrees, in terms of his accomplishments. No, that's not the kind of great we're speaking of. Great in terms of mighty. Great in terms of almighty God in the flesh. Mary, he's going to be great. But Mary, I also want you to know he's going to be called the son of the highest. Son of the Most High. Mary, I also want you to know that the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And now we're immediately drawn to these these promises that are linked with the throne of David. Mary's son to be born, Jesus, is going to be linked to David, the throne of David. There's this idea and terminology that's expressed by Gabriel of a king. Mary, you're going to give birth to a king. And he's going to reign. And the Lord God's going to give him the throne of his father, David. And Mary also wants you to know this. His reign over the house of Jacob will be forever. Now, that would have been a little bit puzzling in that most of us, when we think about a king and a king ruling, we think about from this point of time to this point of time, this king reigned. This king that's coming is going to reign forever. And Mary, I also want you to know, of his kingdom, there will be no end. There will be no end. This king is going to bring a kingdom into play that is never going to end. He's going to rule. He's going to reign. 
He highlights who this child is going to be. Now, when we, before you read verse 34, I mean, the angel shares a lot of information here about who this child is going to be. The question in verse 34 is one that I think we need to take time to consider. Because the question Mary comes back with, it starts with how. And we've got to sometimes be careful with the how question. Because Zacharias asked the how question. And he was put on mute. Do you remember that for a time? He was not allowed to speak for a time. But the Bible does say pretty clearly that he was put on mute because of his unbelief. And can I just for a moment show you from the scripture, however hard it is maybe for us to reconcile, why didn't this happen to Mary? She asked how. I want to point you to verse 45. When she visits Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is speaking, filled with the Holy Spirit. She says a lot of wonderful things, but verse 45 in particular I want to point to you. Blessed is she who what? Believed. Mary believed. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. These words come by way of Elizabeth by means of the Holy Spirit. So just drawing out a little bit of a distinction there. Nevertheless, we arrive at verse 34 and we see this question. How can this be since I do not know a man? Now, I believe the second part of the question helps us answer the first part. When she says, how can this be? I'm asking myself, how can what be? How can this be? What's she, what's she driving at? What's she talking about? Well, the last part helps us answer the first part. She says, since I do not know a man. I do not know in terms of intimacy. I do not know a man in an intimate way. What's she speaking to based on what the angel has said to her in verses 30, 31, 32, 33? Does Mary seem to be more concerned about 32 and 33 or more concerned about verse 31? Seems like she's most consumed with verse 31, conceiving a son. How can this be since I do not know a man? How can I have a baby when I have not known a man intimately? Good question. I believe a genuine question. To which the Lord is about to bring some additional clarity through Gabriel. Look at verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Will be your shade. Will be the exerting influence over you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month. There's that cue again. The sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Isn't that wonderful? With God, nothing will be impossible. These are the words... From Gabriel, following Mary's question, how can this be since I do not know a man? The first piece that the angel gives her is that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Now, if that's all Gabriel said to her, I don't know if that would have truly been all the help she needed in this moment. I mean, for us today, we're on the other side of the cross, are we not? We're on the other side of Acts 2. The Holy Spirit was poured down in Acts 2. Mary is still on the front end. Remember that as you read the text. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. How how might that have settled on her? Would that have truly answered her question? Well, he goes on. He doesn't just say the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow, will exert his influence over you. 
Okay, we're getting more, more details here. The power of the highest. God's a part of this. And then he goes on even further and says, Therefore also, Mary, I want you to note something. That this Holy One, this Holy One who will be born to you, He's going to be called, listen to this, Mary, He's going to be called the Son of God. How is this going to happen? Mary, let me tell you. This child that's going to be born to you is going to be called the Son of God. Oh, by the way, Mary, I also want you to know, because I understand you're wrestling with this and you have some very good, genuine question here put forth. I want you to know that this relative of yours named Elizabeth, she is currently six months along in her pregnancy. She too has conceived a son. She who was barren has conceived a son. So it's almost put forth as a case study, number one. Example number one with Elizabeth. Hey, look, she was called barren. She is in her later years, and she has conceived a son, Mary. And the bottom line to all of it, it's just all undergirded with verse 37. For with God, nothing is impossible. How can this be? Mary, with God... Nothing is impossible. Does that satisfy her? Is she content with the answer? The text tells us in verse 38. She says two things. First one is, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. The maidservant of the Lord. You know, I was reminded as I was reading that this week, I was reminded of that prophecy that we read a few weeks back in Joel. Remember that? When, when Joel is prophesying that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out, men and women, you know that phrase he says in verse 29 right after that? He says, to men servants and maid servants. I was thinking of Mary when I read that. I mean, she's declaring, you're maid servant. And she is a maid servant, declaring herself to be a maid servant. And I was reminded of the fact that God pours out his Holy Spirit. It's prophesied he's going to pour out his Spirit even on these maid servants. And we see that the Holy Spirit is the one directly involved in conceiving this son to be born named Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Behold the maid servant of the Lord. If you notice in verse 38... There are no more questions. There are no more questions recorded for us. The next phrase then, she says, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be according to your word, Gabriel. What is that a picture of? I believe it's a picture of the very thing that you and me, our response ought to be whenever the Lord speaks to us. Behold your maidservant. Behold, guys, your men servant. Let it be to me. According to your word. Or in New Testament style and fashion, maybe we could say it this way. Walk by faith. As you have spoken, so may I obey what you have told me. Or as Peter says on that boat in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus says, hey, cast your net out. Remember that big catch of fish? And he's trying to tell Jesus, you know, he says, Master, we've toiled all night. We haven't caught anything. But he says, nevertheless, at your word, I will obey. That's the picture that's captured right here, church. Mary says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
And the angel departed from her. That's the way it's left. I believe it's a fitting picture. This announcement. Gabriel is sent by God on a mission to make the announcement. He makes the announcement. Mary has concern, initial concern. She then has a genuine question. then she has a declaration of praise. Gratitude. Submission. Alignment of herself under that of God. And what he's spoken. Oh, church, this is so instructive for all of us. If we too would align ourselves under what God has already spoken. Remember, we're talking about Mary who didn't have the entirety of what we have today. She didn't have all this before her. We have all of this before us. And yet, how often do we walk our own way? Do our own thing. And God has spoken And I believe that the message this morning, the application, if you will, for us this morning is to take God at his word. For this God that we serve, nothing, nothing will be impossible with this God that we serve, church. That is one of the best messages we can ever hear. So no matter what your situation may be, and we could just go down the row, and each one of you maybe are in a situation... And you're wondering, how do you get out of this situation? I want you to know this morning, and I point you to the text. It's not hopeless. If you are a child of God, you have hope. Because of the God that you serve, nothing is impossible. And in the context of that phrase, nothing will be impossible, is the arrival, the announcement of God's Son. Jesus, who is not just coming to be born, but he's coming, as you read the Gospels, to live and to die. It's through his death on that cross. We celebrate it here in just a short minute as we partake of the bread and the cup. His death brought us life. Before he died, he was born and so celebrating his arrival his birth is a very significant aspect but let's not just get stuck on the fact he was born let's not keep him as a baby because as the line says in the song we sang this morning once a babe in Bethlehem now the Lord of history that's who he is Let it be according to your word. Let's trust him and trust his word that what he says he will do. And let's rejoice in that. Mary says in verse 46, 47, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. What's the status of your soul today, church? Are you too rejoicing in this great God, your Savior, Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the good news message that was heralded and announced here in Luke chapter 1. Thank you for sending your angel Gabriel on the scene to this virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Thank you for making known this arrival. Thank you for the the lessons we learn in how Mary handled this information received from the angel. 
And her final response is so instructive for us, Lord. We thank you for having this recorded for us that we can look, that we can take in, that we can absorb Mary's response to your words. For Lord, those are the very words I pray each of us would be able to speak as well. That when we hear from you in your word, we too would say, and align ourselves under you and under your word, and let it be to me, let it be to me according to your word, and that we would walk by faith and and carry around this phrase, let it be to me according to your word. Father, we would get to know what your word says, though that we might be able to then walk in that way. Many of us are confused, perhaps, because we are not in this word and we do not know what this word has to say. I pray, Lord, we would desire to hear what your word has to say and then we would be obedient to walk in that direction. Give us grace to do so. Humble us, Lord, that we might walk under your authority, your guidance, your counsel, that in the days ahead, Lord, we would be led by you and not our own good ideas. Let it be to us, your church, according to your word. We thank you, Father, for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.